Let's talk about the one to come. Anybody have a good Christmas? Okay, three of us. The rest of you, I'm so sorry. Uh, I hope it's better next year. Um, I was thinking about Christmas uh, past, uh, the years before uh, the ones that we just celebrated, probably 20, 30 years before. Uh, and on Christmas at our house, um, we would always find wrapped up, it was always a giveaway, it was a really flat gift, uh, but, and it looked you know, about this size, but it was always a calendar. Did anybody get a calendar on Christmas growing up? Anybody remember this? Some of us are like, what are those? Uh, you young, young people might wonder, what is he holding right now? It's on your phone, it's the calendar app, uh, but this is the analog version. Uh, we used to get these, some of you, who still uses one, anyone? Look at the white hair. All right, uh, that's fine, it's okay, I got one too. Beard. Anyway, uh, uh, we, we, uh, we have these, and why do we get them? We want to know what day it is. We want to be able to, you know, write our checks correctly, which is another thing of the old days. Uh, we wanted to be able to plan. Anybody get one of these and start writing down birthdays, anniversaries? Uh, I used to get these, and I, if I knew when my vacation was coming, I'd write it down right away, and then I'd start Xing out the days, right? We've got to go to work this day, oh, that day, that day. And then finally, you'd be a couple weeks from vacation, and you'd be like, end in sight. Uh, calendars are helpful, uh, but as much as you mark them up, we don't know what's coming. Anybody really know what's coming? You've made some plans, maybe have some hopes, but we don't even know what's going to happen before this hour's over, right? I mean, I got a general direction where I'm going. We'll see, you know, but uh, life, the future lies ahead of us as long as God tarries in sending his son or he gives us breath and we live here on this planet. Uh, the future uh, is awaiting and uh, we get to talk about that today as we start a new year together, as we embark on yet another one. Um, I want to kind of give you my hope for us as a, as a church. It's my hope every day, not just the first day of a year, but every Sunday that we gather, every day that I wake up and pray for y'all. My prayer for us is that we will be better followers of Jesus Christ, disciples who make disciples. That we, in turn, as individuals, would contribute to us being a better church for Jesus Christ. And that we would see him use us like never before in the year to come. Uh, for us to talk about our future, I thought it would be good for us to look a little bit at church uh, past. Not specifically our church's past. Uh, we've been in existence for right around 30 years now, a little bit more. And uh, God has blessed us in mighty ways. I could certainly detail those for you. Uh, but I want to talk about the 2,000 years, roughly, of the existence of the church, uh, big C, the whole thing. And, and knowing our history will help us uh, with planning and, 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 and preparing for our future. I got uh, in a YouTube deep dive this past week. Has anybody done that? You get some time off, and you go on YouTube, and YouTube is so smart. They put all these other videos on the side of the one you're watching. They're so smart because they know they can get you for like seven hours if they can keep you clicking, right? And so uh, I'm going to sound real smart. I'm not, but for uh, a, a particular day, I decided to go into history. You can do 20-minute uh, history videos with maps. And, like, I watched one on World War II, and then I watched the one on World War I, and then I watched the one on the United States, and I figured out where I got some of the questions wrong in school. And, and uh, I just kind of did this, like, 20 minutes at a time. It's, it's what we're going to basically do as we walk through the church and its history today. Let's start with this question as we get uh, ready for our history lesson. Uh, what is church? Turn to someone next to you and say, church is, and fill in the blank. What is church? Church is whatever. 
When I say talk to someone, I don't necessarily mean me. But thanks, brother. Everybody have a good conversation? Who said a building? Anybody say a building? If you're like, yeah, I've been to church before here. I know it's not a building. You're going to dock me on that one. Certainly it is a building. Did you say you were going to church today? Or thought that when you got up this morning? Certainly building's a part of it. But that's not all that a church is. Um, anybody say an event? It's what we do on Sunday. Some of you are here this morning, even after staying up late last night, because your body just knows. It's Sunday. I wake up. I go to church at 1064 or whatever you get here at. And... Uh, that's not even a number. That's weird. I just made up a, <laughs> I think that'd be 1104 mark if you're scoring at home. I think a 1064 is 1104. Oh, hey guys, how you doing? It's good to see you. Uh, it's a little loose here on New Year's Day. It's an event you attend. Uh, I'll tell you what it was when I grew up. It was a requirement. I did not like going. And if you're here this morning, I'm not pointing at you specifically, but if anybody's here this morning, Sorry, Lee, I didn't mean to pick on you. But if anybody's here this morning under duress, I totally get it. Spent my whole life going to church because I had to, not because I get to. It's a huge difference, right? If you have to do something, you're already like behind the eight ball on that experience, right? And so that was my mindset about going to church. I had to, I had to get dressed up in a three-piece suit at the age of eight. <sighs> and, and, uh, and I had to go to church. And so um, uh, church was a, a requirement. And, and for me growing up, church was a bore, uh, and I pray that's never the case for anybody here, although I have seen some of you sleeping while I preach. I'm not offended. We're all human, especially today, most of you up late. If it was you firing off the fireworks over my lake at 3 a.m., I prayed a pox over you. May God make it a reality, all right? But if that's you and that was your idea of fun, you may find yourself nodding off in this service Totally get it, but on a regular basis, I pray you're not bored. But I certainly was growing up. I was just like, oh, man. When is it? And some of you are going to start. Some of you have already started. He's, oh, man. Uh, I don't have a watch on. I just noticed. Anyway, uh, uh, so it can be a bore. It can be, you know, uh, maybe a crutch for one's conscience. We can get into that. That's what I've been told by people who don't believe. Uh, it, it's a, a club for meeting people. It's not unlike Rotary or other, you know, places of service. It's just a spot for you to land, whatever. Uh, we're going to get into what church is in just a little bit, but... Uh, can I at least start with what church was or how it began? Churches, the church uh, you know, that we have uh, over the last 2,000 years is an incredible story. Everybody gets that, right? Like I was just in Jerusalem. That's not meant to be a flex, but I literally was just there with some people from our church. And we got to walk through the streets uh, you know, that Jesus and his disciples walked. And it, it kind of comes into focus a little bit better when you're in a place where something has actually happened. You can be like, how was this possible? Because if you think about it, this carpenter from a nowhere town in Israel called Nazareth comes out of the woods at the age of 30. Uh, he's baptized by uh, his cousin, a guy named John the Baptist, and, and then he starts you know, just teaching people, and he calls fishermen to be his disciples. He picks all the wrong followers. Uh, he, he's saying all the wrong things, especially according to the Jewish religion that he is a part of. He is a rebel. He is uh, 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 seen as, as a, uh, you know, basically a heretic. He's saying all these things that don't fit with his culture. He, but he's got this incredible following, and people are leaving their lives to be with him. For three and a half years, he does miracles and teaches amazing teachings, and he does all these incredible things, and it culminates with the leaders of the religion that he grew up in banding together, trumping up some charges, arresting him, and having him crucified. 
And the story should end there. In fact, just so you know, there were many false messiahs, false claims on, on you know, being the, the, the appointed and anointed one of Israel. And their story started out like that, not to the extent that Jesus is dead, but they were tried, crucified, put to death, sent away, whatever. And, and their stories ended. Ours didn't, right? Because they're in that town in Jerusalem as Jesus lay in a tomb in his preparation. He'd be laying there for about a year. That's how they would do it. You would lay in a tomb for about a year so that everybody who hadn't been able to get to your funeral could come and pay their respects. That's why the girls were coming to treat his body. They tried to keep it from stinking uh, for as long as they could. That's why all the spices were put in the burial clothes and all this stuff. So he was laying in this tomb. It was going to be a year for his body to rest there. But it only stayed for three days. And on the third day... This carpenter from Nazareth rises from the dead and is, uh, he appears to his followers and his followers start telling everybody, we saw him. And it tells us in the back half of, of, of 1 Corinthians that he appeared to over 500 at times and, and he was visible to those who, who had you know, followed him up to his death. They now followed him as his resurrection and 40 days after he res- resurrects, he ascends and he, he's, he's given the mission to his, his fellow uh, followers, and, and they go out in the streets of Jerusalem on the day of Pentecost, the high feast day in the Jerusalem, or in the Jewish faith, and, and they start preaching this gospel about this dead carpenter who rose from the grave, and thousands were added to their number that day, and off we went. And through hundreds of years of persecution and, and, and just uh, oppression, this ragtag... Um, Group of non-influencers. None of them had, you know, uh, big follows online, okay? They were just people, regular folk like you and me, following the teachings of a carpenter. 300 years in, the Roman Empire, the Western civilization lead, adopts Christianity as its faith. And from then on till today, Uh, Jesus has become the object of the worship in some form or other of a third of the earth's population. It's a pretty impressive story. I don't know what yours is, but I bet that beats it. Our calendars, these very relics of a foregone age, are set to his birth date. We don't say it that way anymore. It's too Jesus-y. We change the letters. I don't know if you knew that. Your kids are taught different things than we were. Lots of different things than we were. But uh, uh, this carpenter from Nazareth shapes most of what we understand about our existence in the world that we live in. Roman Empire, gone. I mean, Rome's still there, I hear. I've never been. Italy, yeah. But the Roman Empire fades. Ancient Judaism, the sacrificial system, gone. They wrecked the temple. Rome did in AD 70, so... Judaism is not what it was, ostensibly. But Jesus and his followers remain. It takes us to where we're going to study Jesus in our Bible today's, today. Um, it's where the church is first mentioned. Where, where is the church first mentioned in our Bibles? Right here in Matthew chapter 16. It's the first time the word gets used. Let's read these verses together. I'm going to try to go fast today. We'll see if it happens. Now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi. 
he asked his disciples a question. Let's do a little background here. I was just in Caesarea Philippi once again, spent some time in Israel. But here's a picture of Caesarea Philippi. Uh, this is a, a grotto. It's like a, a huge cliff wall. And, and you can kind of see there's some pillars there and some, some platforms that they've excavated. Um, this was in Caesarea Philippi, Church Row. Did anybody grow up in a small town and all the churches were like in the same street? Uh, it was kind of like that here in Brandon. The United Methodist Church was next to, they're all down there on Moon Street or whatever uh, when we were a younger city. Uh, we're all spread out now, but, but that's how a lot of small towns were. All the churches, one area, right? And, and that's how it was in Caesarea Philippi. Some quick history. Caesarea Philippi used to be called Panias. Uh, it was a, a Greek uh, uh, settlement. It wasn't a Jewish settlement at all. It was a bunch of Gentiles lived up in this northern part. Oh, I get to do my first map of the year. You want to see my first map of the year? Here we go. Mediterranean Sea, right? Dead Sea down here. I know you made fun of me at Christmas. I'm not offended. Dead Sea down here. Jordan River, okay. Lake or Sea of Galilee is up here in the north. And Jesus has spent a majority of his time teaching and, and, and you know, finding his disciples here in this Galilean re region. But here in the story in Matthew 16, he goes even farther north. He's almost to Syria. Caesarea Philippi is way up here. It's, it's as far north as Jesus ever got in Israel, Okay. And he's up here in Gentile territory, here on Church Row. And the churches are not like the churches that we have, okay? The churches are, uh, some of them are of, of Syrian, uh, you know, descent or whatever, Syrian population. And they worship a god called Baal, Baal. Uh, when Elijah fought the prophets of Baal, uh, th that was that kind of god. It was a pagan god from the north. And so the Syrians had temples, 14 of them around Caesarea Philippi. But one of them was right here on that cliff that I showed you. And, and so there, uh, Baal was worshipped. Right next to Baal's church was the temple of Pan. That's why it was called Panias. Pan is that goat-looking guy. He's got goat legs and a flute. And he's in the Greek mythology. And he was the god of luck. And so people loved you know, it was like the Vegas God or whatever. People love to go worship at Pan and hopefully would have good luck, good crops and all that stuff. And so he had a big temple. It's, the town was named after him before Herod, who was one of the sons of the king. Herod uh, had uh, basically annexed Panias and dedicated it to Caesar. That's why it's Caesarea. He wanted to uh, distinguish it from the Caesar, or Caesarea that was on the coast. Some of you are like, who cares, Mark? Hurry up. This is, where, this is where they get long, right? This is where the ser sermons get long when I start doing this. But here we go. Caesarea Philippi, uh, or Caesarea Martima is on the coast, and so Caesarea Philippi was named after the son of Herod Philip. Okay. But Pan's temple was there. Are you with me? Next to the temple to Baal and the temple to Pan was the temple of the town's new namesake, the temple to Caesar himself. Big, huge pillars. You can see some of them excavated there. The Romans were taught that Caesar, kind of like in North Korea these days, Caesar's not just our leader, he's our God. You worship him like he is supreme and supernatural. And there were other you know, places of worship there. And Jesus takes his friends all the way north into Caesarea Philippi to ask him the questions he's about to ask. Okay, everybody with me? Here it comes. He asks his disciples, verse 13, who do people say that the son of man is? This is a a nickname, if you want to call it, that Jesus has adopted for himself. Many people have called him the Son of Man. It comes from our Bibles in the Old Testament. The book of Daniel talks about this Son of Man who will come as part of the prophecies given there. Um, they see him as someone sent from God, but they were unclear as to exactly who he was. People were kind of all over the map. And so he asked his disciples, hey, what are people saying these days about who I am? And they said this, and they list prophets, all three of these 
uh, and even the ones that aren't mentioned, are prophets. They say that you're a prophet. Some say that you're John the Baptist, his cousin, who had recently, like two chapters ago in Matthew, been put to death by the same guy, Herod, who had been instrumental in creating Caesarea Philippi. The same guy, Herod, had been asked for the head of John the Baptist by his girlfriend's slash kind of wife's daughter, Salome. Uh, but Herod, in, in Matthew chapter 14, verse 2, says, oh, no, when he hears about Jesus, he says, oh, no, it's John the Baptist's ghost. It's in your books. And so Herod, the king, was convinced that Jesus was the, the reincarnation or the reappearance of John the Baptist, and others had agreed with him. So some say you're John the Baptist. Others say that you're Elijah. If you go back in the Old Testament in a book called Malachi, in chapter 4, verse 5, it says very clearly that in the end of times, the prophet Elijah, the guy who fought the prophets of Baal and had, you know, had lots of great stories, um, he will return. It's actually mentioned in the book of Revelation as well. We don't have time. But Elijah will return. And so because the Jews had long foreseen or long hoped for the return of Elijah, uh, as Jesus kind of picked up momentum and gained notoriety, they're like, ah, it's Elijah. He's back. Still others said Jeremiah. I'm not as clear as why some thought that. But, uh, and then others say other prophets. People were just like throwing a dart, you know, on a dartboard. I think he's this. I think he's that. And so Jesus, hearing this, says to them in verse 15, but who do you say that I am? So I got a picture of the 12 guys, you know, kind of maybe lined up. They're all looking at the churches on church row. And Jesus is kind of staring at it with them. And he's like, yeah, okay, so everybody thinks I'm a prophet. Who do you guys think I am? And here's what I picture, all 12 guys, 11 of them, one step back. And the only one left up there is a guy named Simon Peter, right? And Simon Peter was never afraid to share his mind. Has anybody read that about Pete? He's one of my favorite guys in the Bible. He's like, talk first, think later. And it uh, worked out sometimes, it does here. Other times, not so much. But here, uh, Simon Peter um, replies and says, Jesus, you are the Christ. The Greek word's Christos. It's taken like we were, uh, if you were here at Christmas Eve, it's taken from the Hebrew word Mashiach, Messiah. You're the Christ. Uh, Messiah uh, is in the Old Testament, um, the promised one, the anointed and appointed one. That's what the root of Mashiach is, anointed. And there were three offices in the, the nation of Israel that got anointed for their office. Uh, there were prophets, they were anointed. There were priests in the temple, they were anointed, and there were kings. And if you've ever been around church uh, long enough, uh, you've probably heard that Jesus is all three, prophet, priest, and king. He came as a prophet, foretelling of what his God was doing next, the new covenant that would be with him, and the way that he would return and take those who had found faith in him unto himself and into glory. He was a prophet. The book of Hebrews tells us that he is the great high priest. We don't need to go to the temple anymore. We are the temple of God, and we don't need to go to some human priest. We have been given by faith the great high priest. His name is Jesus, and he's the one that we go to. So he's anointed prophet, he's anointed priest, and if you've been around a church at all, you've probably heard that Jesus is the king of kings, right? He is the rightful authority, the anointed and appointed heir to the throne of God himself. And so Pete says this, you are the Christ, and in that embeds all those ideas, prophet, priest, and king. You are the son, and it's so great. He's standing in front of these churches, and he says, you are the son of not that God, Baal, or that God, Pan, or that God, Caesar. 
You are the son of the one true living God, the only God. Later, Jesus would put it this way to his disciples as he's getting ready to go to his cross. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one gets to the Father except through me. Who has two thumbs and he's the only way? Jesus says, this guy. And Peter professes that. It's the first time, everybody get this, it's the first time that any of his followers have gotten to this point. If you're kind of kicking the tires on the Christian thing, you are just like these disciples in the story of Jesus. They had seen him do amazing things. Fishermen had watched him produce fish where there shouldn't have been fish. He allowed them to walk on water and feed 5,000 and 4,000. He'd done all these incredible things, but they hadn't got to the point where they had, you know, said what they truly thought of him. And here it is. You're the Christ the son of the living God. Jesus answers Pete and says, ah, blessed are you. Way to go, Pete. Blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah. Bar is the word in Hebrew for son. Uh, So it's Simon, son of Jonah. For flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven has. Let this be an encouragement if you're praying for someone who is far from God to return or or for someone who has never known God to find him for the first time. They may come to you as you explain the gospel to them and say, that's a bunch of bunk and just shut you off right at the front, okay? Or they may engage with you in arguments and give you, you know, salient point after salient point as to why they don't believe. And you'll try with this article and this book and and all these measures to convince them. And I, I, please do, apologetics, I love all of that stuff. Do whatever you can to help them understand. But know this, no one comes to the Father except the Father opens their eyes. No one sees apart from God revealing himself to them and them submitting and choosing to see him as he is. True confessions, I come up here on Saturdays to prepare for speaking on Saturday nights. I got a couch in my office. It is a nap monster. It is amazing. And so about, I don't know, 1230, after I've had some lunch, I'll get here, I'll take a quick half hour nap. And I uh, have this window that faces my couch. It's bright at 1230 in the afternoon, right? So I, uh, as much as I try to, you know, not see the light, I still see it. So here's what I've done. I've created, I think I saw my mom do this as a little boy, but I've created the ultimate instant face mask. You just take Kleenex, which I have on my coffee table in front of the, and you just slide them inside your glasses just like this. And booyah, what is up? Insta mask. It is so awesome. I lay on the couch. I sleep for my half hour, but here's the deal. As my alarm goes off and I wake up, here's my first move. Is everybody with me? I go and I remove. Uh, Hebrews calls it a veil, that spiritually there's this veil that keeps us from seeing the one true God and accept that we yield to, submit to, and allow the Holy Spirit to open our eyes to him. We just don't see him. I got these glasses after I went to seminary. I can kind of see you right now, but I need these to see clearly. But (laughs) these are absolutely no good to me if I've got these in front of the lenses. And these things, if we can kind of understand it, are the, the sins, the the sin nature that keeps us from understanding God and accept that God pulls what blinds us away from us. We want to, and I, I, listen, I hope that's encouraging to you. I'm praying for some kids in my family 
who are obstinate in, in their ignorance about God, even though they grew up knowing him. They're like, no, don't want him, don't need him, won't believe in him. And I'm like, cool, that's fine. Guess what? There was a guy just like you. His name was Saul of Tarsus, and he was walking down a road on his way to kill some Christians, and he finally had his eyes opened by the one true God, and that was it. Curtains for Saul of Tarsus, the most ardent and most educated hater, atheist of the Christian faith, became the leader of the Christian faith. Is everybody with me? Hang on and just trust that God can open some eyes. Are you with me? All right, let me preach a little more. So, Jesus goes on, he commends Peter, and he says this, I tell you, you are Peter. And he says this, and on this rock, I will build my, and there it is for the first time in your Bibles, the word church. We're going to get to it in a second. Let's make sure we're clear on what he's really building it on, though. Uh, He says to Peter, you're the rock, Petros, that's what it means. You're the rock, Peter, rock. And he says, on this rock, and and the, the most, listen, the, the, the clearest line of inference here is Peter himself. And, and that's what the Catholic Church has done. Peter, first pope, subsequent popes after. There's going to be a leader on earth, a representative, the Catholics believe, of Jesus himself. And he'll be the rock and the rest of the church will be built on him. I, I'm not, listen, obviously the apostles played a huge part in the church getting going. It was on their backs and through their teaching that more and more people came to know Jesus and follow him in the early church. Is everybody comfortable with that? But I've always understood that the rock isn't necessarily Peter. He's like a second rock, the side rock, the other rock. Are you with me? The rock, the foundation that the church of Jesus Christ is built on is the confession of Peter. You are the Christ, the son of the living God. That's the gospel. It's our gospel that is our foundation. And on this gospel, this new covenant, he called it at the Last Supper, I will build my church. And then he says this, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. We'll get to church in a second, but let's cover the gates. I don't know if you've ever tried to fight someone off using a gate as a weapon. Not my first pick. Uh, It's kind of hard for us to understand why he used this imagery. Um, It might help you. Look at the picture again of Caesarea Philippi. There was this cave there at the end of Church Row that was known as the Gates of Hades. It was this, uh, we didn't get a, I didn't get a picture of it all the way down, but it goes down deep into the earth, a spring kind of comes out of it, and it was seen as the entry to the, to the, uh, to the netherworld, to the, to the, in the Greek understanding, Hades, to the, to the life to come. Uh, Jesus understood hell or Hades in a different way than the Greeks or anybody else would, um, he understood that he had an adversary. He had been tempted by him early in his uh, ministry years. Uh, his name is Satan. Uh, Satan is behind us. If you're unclear on our story, Satan is behind all of the alternative ideas that you know, crowd the minds of people and keep them from God, keep the Kleenex in the glasses, as it were. And, and this is what Jesus says. He says, on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not prevail. All of the efforts of Hades, he's probably pointing at the, at the hole in the, you know, the cave, he's saying, and the gates of hell, all of these other religions, all of the other ideas, everything that would beset us will fail miserably because I cannot be defeated. Calling a shot, man. He's like, hey, everybody can do their best. And, and, and here we are, a couple thousand after years after a carpenter from Nazareth started a movement in Israel, this little landing strip of a, of a country, and, and you and I are worshiping him here today. Yeah. 
gates, I like this, someone said that the gates of a city uh, were its power. That if you lived in a walled city, people weren't going to go over the walls. They were going to try to beat down the gates. That's why you see all the battering rams in the old Roman movies and stuff like that. If we, can, if we can beat the gates, we have defeated the power of this city that is warring against us. And so Jesus went, power gates. The power of Hades will not prevail against us. So here in Caesarea Philippi, Jesus for the first time refers to those following him as his church. So let's go back to that question we asked 20 minutes ago. What is church? Well, if we want to understand what church is, perhaps we should go to the first use of it in our Bibles. Uh, And the Greek word that Jesus used that we translate in English, church. It's ekklesia. Everybody say ekklesia. And ekklesia, you've probably heard me preach it before, but it's the called out ones. The church are the called out ones. Ecclesia, up to this point, had not been used of the church. Jesus co-opted it. It had been used of other groups of people that had been called out for certain causes. We might use it today. Some of you watched football last night, uh, and you're actually fans of the college teams that either won or lost. Um, I'm not, uh, but I actually, I have some friends. I know they drove up to Georgia to watch their Buckeyes lose. Sorry, Lattimore's. Anyway, uh, uh, but uh, tough game. It was a tough game. Kid could have made the field goal. Anyway, uh, but, but, but those gatherings, fan uh, bases, they're ecclesias. They're called out ones. Out of the regular populace comes the Bucks fans. There's few of us now, right? Uh, but there, there are fans of the Buccaneers, and, and they would be an ecclesia. Political parties, we're not going to get into politics, but if you side with one party over another, you're an ecclesia. You're called out for that party over the other. Uh, concerts, anybody been to a concert? You got your favorite artists? I don't go to all of them. I go to the ones I like. You know why? I like them. They're my cause. They're my, they're my favorite. And so I am an ecclesia for the concerts that I go to see as you are for yours. But Jesus isn't using it for musical artists or sports teams or political parties. He's using it to describe his people. Those who like Peter know that he is the Christ, the son of the living God. He says, on that confession, on that truth, I'm going to build this group of called out ones, the ecclesia, and they will be my church. Here's the big uh, problem in the world today, and the problem for church throughout its history, is that the ecclesia, the called out ones, lose sight of who they really are, what Jesus purposed them to be. We're meant to be a movement behind a cause for the purpose and mission of Christ. But we go from being this group of movers to being a group of meters. We just kind of hang out with ourselves. We stare at our navels. We argue theology. Uh, we become little use to the world around us, which de- desperately needs the gospel too. And here's what I want to kind of center the rest of my time on. That's what the church is for. Uh, people wonder sometimes why I'm not more competitive with other churches. They're, they're ecclesia with me. We're all called out ones. They might do it different than me, think different than me, but if they're on the mission with me, same team, baby, let's go. I want their box full, our box full. I want every box full. Why? Because it's not about us and our walls. It's about the movement. It's about the mission of Christ being accomplished on earth. But so often we get trapped into silliness, sideways energy. You ever wondered why our Bible translates ecclesia uh, with this English word church? 
that we're so familiar with. There's an origin to everything. Uh, when we started translating the original uh, you know, languages of our Bible into English, um, when that started happening, we, we took words from the, 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 the day-to-day, the stuff that was going on, and, and that's how these words got into our English Bibles. Uh, like I told you, a little more history here, in AD 313, 313, Constantine, the emperor of the Roman Empire, uh, not only uh, stopped persecuting the Christians, he made it the uh, religion of the Roman Empire. And, and so and almost overnight, certainly in the first few years of his edict, the church just exploded. It was the state church, and so so many more people were involved. They had to get organized. And what had been an organism, a group of persecuted believers who had met in homes and had been about the movement, the called out ones, became this like monolithic, you know, huge organization. They had, you know, protocols and and, and uniforms and, and, you know, these high church things. And listen, I'm not against high church stuff. I think there's deeply meaningful, worshipful experiences and all that stuff. But if it becomes the point over the movement, if the meeting uh, excludes or, or, or unseats the mission, we've, we've lost it. We, we've got to make sure that we understand what's what and which comes first. So this formalization takes place. Um, worship becomes hierarchical. Um, and and here's, the, here's the big problem. Participants in the ecclesia becomes they become watchers instead of walkers. They're at the meeting instead of on the mission. You know, how church buildings got their start. Churches like the one that we're sitting in weren't the thing for most of the first two or three, four hundred years of the church. People met in houses. They hung out. We try to do that with our life groups, but but that was the only thing. There wasn't like a box. Boxes started when uh, uh, churches uh, would gather to, to commemorate the death of martyrs. They'd go to the, to the, to the graveyard and, uh, and they, they you know, annually would like, you know, mark the death of someone who had died for the cause of Christ. Well, after a while, they started saying, well, maybe there's so, much, so many of us, it would probably be easier for us to hear each other if we were inside some walls and the weather couldn't get us. And so they started what was, building what was called basilicas over these graves. There's tons of them in Europe, especially. But if, if you go to Westminster Abbey, anybody heard of that? It's in London. It's a grave. It's a graveyard. It's a big box built over a bunch of graves. It's where they buried their dead so they could commemorate those who had gone before them. Well, these basilicas were the beginnings of the cathedral movement and the big church movement, everybody coming into a meeting place. And again, I'm not down in meetings. We still have them. Please join us next Sunday. Are you with me? But what happened is that naturally with this box movement came this idea, church is something I go to, it's not something I am. It's this event or this place, this spot that I attend as opposed to being a mission that I'm on. Uh, The the German word at the time of the translation of the the scriptures into English, uh, the German word for basilica was scherscha or kirscha. And church is the English equivalent. uh, Kirsha was from the Greek for royal meeting place. That's where it gets its root. And uh, it, it just came to this place where the, uh, the, 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 the royal ones, the, the, the heirs of the kingdom of God would meet. And again, nothing wrong with it if uh, we make sure that it's not the point. So here's the question as we close. As we head into this new year, are we as a true ch- church truly the ecclesia? Are we truly moving forward with the mission of God? Or have we settled for simply being a meeting place? 
or a bunch of people who agree on the, uh, the same things when it comes to religion. Uh, some are like, yeah, Mark, you need to answer that. You need to figure that out for a church. Let me make it more personal. Can I do that? Are you a Christian who's truly moving? Because here's the deal. I can get up here and preach my head off, um, but if it doesn't affect and God doesn't use it in the souls of those who are us, you, and if this church is, is comprised of you as individuals, doesn't have as its heart, I'm the ecclesia, I'm the called out one who joins with the other called out ones and we're on mission for God, well then we gotta make sure, we gotta make sure we get this thing right. We gotta be on the same page as Jesus was when he first called us the ecclesia. We talk about four things around here uh, that I would love to see us grow in as, as individuals and as a church this year. We talk about worshiping God, not just here at the meeting, please come and do that, but worshiping him everywhere in all that we do in life with every decision and every word that we say. It's harder in traffic, but, but that's what he wants us to do. He wants us to worship him with all that we have. We talked about generosity last year. It's so funny last year, yesterday. Anyway, uh, but when we talked about generosity, it wasn't uh, so that we, you know, more money could be given for this cause. or this. It's, it's about us being more like the one that we worship, a generous God who has given us all that we have. Amen? We want to worship him fully. And we want to see this meeting place as our refueling spot so that we can go out and worship him in the life that he's given us in the world that we live in. I go to Sam's. At six o'clock in the morning now. Has anybody been to Sam's lately for gas? The lines at Sam's are out the parking lot. Like, right? And most times in the day, because they got 30 cents off the gallon, uh, that's the most places in town. It's, it's, if you're cheap like me, you're like, I'm going. But I'm not waiting in line. I'm burning more gas than I'm putting in. Are you with me? Maybe not. So I go at six in the morning. Don't go. That's my time. You stay home. But I go at six in the morning so I can get right in there. And I go, why? Because I drive, a who drove a car today? Anybody driving here? Okay, what does your car run on? And all the Tesla people back off. Most of us are still on the gas, right? Everybody's running on the gas still. And why do you get gas? Because the car won't run without it. And listen, people, please hear me. We get together so that we can fuel up and have what we need in the tank to go be on the mission as the called out ones in life. That's what this is for. Please, get your latte at our camper. Hang out in the nice, soft, cushy black seats. Have fun while you're here. But understand that this is an enabling station for you to get ready to be filled up with what you need to be on the mission as the ecclesia of Jesus Christ. That's what we're here for. We're here to worship. Okay. We're here to worship. We're here to belong. I pray that this is a year where we go deeper and further in relationships with each other because that's how God ministers to us so often is through the love relationships that he gives us in his church. If you're here and you are not known, you are missing out on the ecclesia, what you were called to. We need to belong in more meaningful ways. We need to serve in more meaningful ways. We need to multiply in more meaningful ways, not because we want to be the biggest church. Great if we are. I don't care. We want to have as many people not going to hell from Brandon as we can possibly have. Does everybody get with me on that? We want people to know the Jesus that they need. And so we talk to them about it. We seek to be disciples who make disciples because that's what we've been called to. I skipped over a bunch of stuff because I'm out of time and I got kind of loose. 
Some of you might be sitting here and you're kind of new to this whole thing. Okay, so let me kind of back up. Well, I'm glad you came today. You came today because you could come here, I, I guess, and, and not know what I just talked about is what we're really about. Because it can just look like a bunch of people driving to a box and hanging out for an hour and going home. And that may, you may have been doing that your whole life and you thought that's what this is. It's not. This is just a, a step in our process of being the ecclesia, the called out ones. It starts with what Peter started with. Like, if, like you may think, I'm, I'm, I'm churchy. Churchy isn't Christian. Churchy is churchy. Churchy is like really dangerous. I would much rather have you be Christian and you know, we can work on the churchy stuff, but like, I'd rather you be Christian than churchy. And this is what happened with Pete. Jesus said, who do you say that I am? And Pete says, you are the Christ. You want to go from being churchy to be Christ, being a Christian? You, by faith, choose to trust in Jesus Christ alone as your Savior. And that's the beginning of you being a part of the called out ones. Uh, most of you probably didn't get one of these as you start your new year. That's fine. Anybody got one on your phone? Who uses their calendar on their phone? Anybody got that for something? Okay, this is kind of corny, maybe a little cheesy. Oh, sorry, I dropped my blindfold. But uh, here's what I'm going to challenge you to do, whether it's on an a analog version like this one or on your actual phone calendar. Now, you can write down appointments all over the place in those things. You can actually have, like, standing appointments for, you know, different days of the week or whatever. Um, something to think about, maybe something you want to do as you leave. Uh, write down every day that you wake up, first thing, whenever it is you wake up, First thing that'll appear on your reminders or on your schedule or whatever shows up on your phone, on your screen. Um, move with Jesus today. Just move with Jesus today. Just, I'm gonna, okay, instead of like, be a good Christian, which is good too, huh, remind yourself that what we are a part of is a movement that began with Jesus and the 12 who followed him and stretches now to us. And we are, mission, we are on mission with him. He, Jesus, that's how Jesus left the, those guys. He says, hey, guys, glad we got to hang out these last three years. I've died. I've risen again. I'm ascending to the right hand of my father. But before I go, do you remember what he says? Go and make disciples, right? In Acts, it tells us that he says, you're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and the utmost parts of the earth. Go and be the ecclesia, the called out ones. Be in the mission. Be in the movement that is my following. And so, as we start this new year, may God grant us uh, to be movers and not meters, uh, to be a part of what he's doing so that he gets the glory he deserves. That's all I got. Let me pray. Lord, thanks for your grace to us. Um, and I uh, trust that as we consider this year to come, uh, we'll have plans and hopes. Uh, I pray at, uh, at the top of our list of those plans and hopes is the plan and the hope to be more like your son Jesus, to be uh, better followers, uh, better disciples, better at making disciples by your grace. Give us opportunities left and right with the people that we do life uh, with to, to make mention of you, uh, to, to live our lives out loud for you, you know, so that they can see you making a difference in us. Uh, use this church and all the churches that are meeting right now uh, in mighty ways. I don't care who has the most, Lord. I just want you to have the most. So use all of us for your glory, I pray, as we enter this year. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Happy New Year one more time.
I'll see you guys next week. God bless you as you go.